Seeing with an Eye of Faith by Grant Von Harrison. Preface. Anciently, the Israelites witnessed many great miracles during their exodus from Egypt and throughout the 40 years they were in the wilderness. However, their ability to see with an eye of faith was limited. It was not until they were ready to cross the river Jordan into the promised land that Moses declared, The Lord hath not given you eyes to see unto, unto this day. Deuteronomy 29.4 Once they learned to see things beyond the realm of the physical world, they were able to see with an eye of faith. See Ether 12.9 Modern-day Israel has likewise witnessed many great miracles since the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, this does not ensure members of the church have eyes to see. If they do not, they will not be capable of seeing with an eye of faith. If this proves to be the case, it is inexcusable. With the light of the gospel on the earth, members of the church can qualify to have eyes to see and learn to see with an eye of faith if they desire. The Mind's Eye Our mind can visualize almost anything, such as aspirations, fears, past events, things we read about, etc. We refer to the ability of the mind to visualize or picture things as the mind's eye. Our mind's eye is capable of visualizing almost anything, even if we are not conscious of it. We picture things in our mind independent of what we actually see with our eyes. We form mental images of things we think about. For example, if someone tells us about an automobile accident, our mind creates a movie of the events and circumstances being described. When we read a novel or listen to a radio program like Mystery Theater, we see the events in our mind. Some visualizations are simple and direct. We make up, we wake up in the morning and picture in our mind something we forgot to do the previous day. Other times we may visualize something more complex, such as apologizing to someone we have offended. All action involves visualization. If we are doing something for the first time, we are more, more likely to be aware of our mind visualizing the task or process. If it is something we have done many times, we are less likely to be aware of it since it occurs almost simulta simultaneously with the action. Because the mind's eye records everything we experience, we are able to see events we have experienced in the past. If we return to an area where we have lived previously, buildings, people, etc. can cause us to recall things that transpired when we were living there. Running across an old letter or object, such as a program from a school play, can trigger our memory. Not only are we able to see things we have seen in the past, but we are able to remember the feelings and the perceptions associated with the event. Even though our capacity to recall things to our mind's eye fades with time, the memory of the experience is still stored in the brain. If certain parts of the brain are stimulated by an electrode, a person will experience almost lifelike visual images of scenes from the past. Horowitz, page 250. Our ability to see things in our mind independent from actual sight is extremely obvious when we are dreaming. Of all the imagery we, are, we view in our mind's eye, dreams have the most compelling sense of reality. When we are dreaming, we believe the dream is actual life. Consequently, our body and emotions react to events in a dream in the same way we would we would to actual in the same way we would to actual experiences. This explains why when we awaken from a nightmare, our pulse is beating faster than normal. 
The fear associated with a nightmare is just as real as fear we experience when we are awake. While awake, we can envision ourselves doing everything imaginable, such as giving a talk, driving a car, swimming, or skiing. Our mind's eye can shift to any set of circumstances we desire in an instant. For example, we can visualize ourselves standing in the bedroom we slept in during our youth, or participating in a future activity. The mind's eye can be compared to a movie projector, which has an infinite number of movies stored in its library. It has the additional ability to spontaneously produce new movies and has a retrieval system capable of cross-referencing every movie. What we visualize in our mind is influenced by our total life experience, not just the information conveyed to our mind at any given moment. Consequently, the mental movie created by our mind for a particular novel we read will be different than anyone else's. Scientific research has demonstrated that what people see when they look at a material object is influenced by the mind. Actual sight and the mind's eye are inseparable. Therefore, what we see by means of our eyesight is a combination of reality and our perceptions. The mind's eye colors the imagery conveyed to our brain through our eyes. Thus, there is some truth to the idea that people see what they want to see. In some respects, what we visualize in our mind's eye is more vivid and seems more real than what we see through our eyesight. However, because some people are only vaguely aware of their mind's eye, they are limited in their ability to visualize and make little effort to control the topics that, op that occupy their mind. Most parents do not teach their children about the functions and potential of the mind's eye. This lack of home training, coupled with the fact that most formal education does not deal with the mind's eye to any degree, helps explain why many people pay very little attention to it. The world around us forces us to be aware of seeing with our eyes. If we do not watch our step, we will stumble and fall. If we are not alert when we drive a car, we will wreck. In contrast, there are very few things that force us to be attentive to our mind's eye. If anything, we are so bombarded with the world around us, we tend to ignore our mind's eye. From empirical research and the Lord's revealed word, we know that what a person views in their mind's eye has a dramatic influence on every aspect of their mortal existence. This basic truth is also supported by our own intuition and experience. If we envision a task to be difficult, it will prove to be difficult. If, for whatever reason, our perception of the task changes, we will find the task easier. Our attitude about something can change dramatically as a result of what we view in our mind's eye. In light of the profound influence of our inner sight on our life, we should resolve to become more con conscious of what we view in our mind and learn to control what we view. Otherwise, we run the risk of our mind's eye dwelling on things that do not serve our best interest. We refer to efforts to talk to others as communications. We define talking to ourselves as thinking. What we actually see in the world around us is referred to as reality. Interestingly enough, there is no one word to describe the process of seeing in our mind's eye. Terms like thinking, reflecting, or imagining are not adequate in describing the process. We use a variety of terms to describe someone who has keen mind sight. Insightful, perceptive, wise, aware, discerning, visionary, having the power of concentration. 
Yet none of these terms adequately describe the effective use of the mind's eye. Joseph Smith experienced a similar problem when he attempted to describe the resurrected Lord. His eyes were as a flame of fire. The hair of his head was white like the pure snow. His countenance shone above the, bite, the brightness of the sun, and his voice was as the sound of the rushing of great waters, even the voice of Jehovah. Doctrine and Covenants 110 verse 3. Obviously, the Lord's eyes didn't look exactly like fire, and his head didn't look like snow. These were merely words Joseph Smith used in his effort to describe something that defies description. Our mind has unlimited capacity. It is by means of the eye of the mind that we formulate thoughts and ideas. When we write a letter, we have to see a sentence in our mind before we write it down. All human expression, oral and written, is seen by our mind before it is expressed. And in many instances, this happens so fast, we are not aware of it. The process becomes more obvious when we prepare a talk or write a research paper. When we attempt to learn new concepts, our sense of understanding is in the eye of the mind. We make the statements, oh, I see, when we finally come to an understanding of a new concept. All types of problem solving and creative expression are accomplished in the mind's eye. It also gives us the capacity to consider what we will do or say in any set of circumstances. One of the most frequent functions of our mind's eye is to explore the consequences of the decisions we are considering. From these examples, it is obvious that the ability to make effective use of the mind's eye is extremely important. Even though we use different terms and concepts such as thinking, visualizing, and contemplating in our efforts to describe the various functions of the mind's eye, in many respects the functions overlap. For this reason, they should not be viewed as entirely separate functions. However, by reading and thinking about these arbitrary classifications, we become more aware of the mind's eye. This alone justifies the efforts to classify its functions, even if the distinctions are not absolute. Just as there are variations in eyesight, farsighted, nearsighted, and unobservant, there are variations in the inner sight of the mind. Some people can look at a, com at a complex picture for a few moments and then later scan the picture in their mind's eye, recalling precise details as if they were seeing the actual picture. In contrast, some people may only recall a few details of the picture. Others' visualized memories are so keen they can recall a particular page in a book they have read previously and then read every word on the page from their visual memory. This ability is re referred to as photographic memory. There are also variations in the power of perception associated with the mind's eye. The degree to which people are able to perceive the motives and attitudes of other people varies a great deal. Several people can be involved in the same conversation, and yet each person's power of perception regarding the dynamics of the group's interactions differs. Through modern technology, we can diagnose eyesight deficiencies, and by the use of glasses, contact lenses, or surgery, most eyesight problems can be corrected. Unfortunately, there is no existing technology to diagnose deficiencies associated with mind sight. And even if the technology existed, the challenge would be correcting the diagnosed deficiencies. 
When it comes to the sight within our minds, we are primarily responsible to diagnose our own deficiencies and then to take steps to correct them. Otherwise, we run the risk of going through life with very poor mind sight. Something congruent to a child with very poor eyesight going to school without glasses. Obviously, if, the, if this were the case, the child would be limited in his learning. Likewise, if our mind's eye is not fully developed, what we learn in life will also be limited. Planning and organizational abilities will be inhibited and performance will be mediocre. It is impossible to excel at anything without making effective use of the mind's eye. Even though the capacity of our mind to visualize is an innate ability, some people are more visually oriented in their thought processes than others. Some people are prone to focus more on words than images. However, if people will make the effort, they can increase their ability to visualize and make more effective use of their mind's eye. The first step in learning to make more effective use of your mind's eye is to learn to create a state that enhances your awareness of the inner process. As a general rule, it is helpful to find a place that it is quiet where you will not be interrupted. It is much easier to concentrate on your inner sight if external distractions are minimized. In time, however, it will be possible to focus on your inner thoughts even if there are distractions with noise or movement. When you become aware of your mind's eye, you will realize that thoughts spontaneously enter your mind one after another. In some respects, thoughts have a domino effect. For example, we start thinking of an upcoming trip and find ourselves thinking about other trips that we've been on, the need to have the car serviced, and so on. As a general rule, we exert little control over what our mind's eye focuses on. Once you are successful in being aware of what your mind, mind's eye sees, your next step is to completely detach yourself from pressures and concerns. This will help you relax mentally. Your goal should be to become proficient in freeing yourself from stress and tensions through the mental relaxation. How this is accomplished varies. Some achieve it by audio suggestions, giving themselves instructions through inner speech. You should arrive at your own method of mental relaxation. Each time you me relax mentally, you will find it easier to do so. It is important that you make a clear distinction between physical and mental relaxation. Many people who learn to relax physically never learn to relax mentally. Their mind's eye is continually cluttered and preoccupied with the cares of the day. When your mind is free of the things that generally occupy it, you are in a frame of mind to concentrate. Concentration involves controlling what occupies your mind's eye, and effective concentration results in eliminating the mind's tendency to deal with extraneous thoughts. When you are able to focus your mind's eye on one issue or idea for a sustained period of time, you are concentrating. Unfortunately, many people who learn to relax mentally are content with the tranquility that is associated with mental relaxation and may never learn to concentrate. This may help explain why so many people resort to listening to music for mental relaxation. True concentrations, however, cannot be achieved if the mind's eye is focusing on music or any other distraction to any degree. Until you are very proficient at concentration under varied circumstances, you should designate a time each day for concentration. Logical times are lunch hours or just before going to bed at night. 
The focus of your concentration can be anything you feel warrants your time. You can explore solutions to problems, plan, seek inspiration, talk with yourself, converse with deity, meditate, rejoice, prepare, rehearse, savor past experiences, examine past mistakes, analyze self, daydream, formulate and contemplate goals, review blessings or formulate resolves, etc. To start with, it may be useful to devote at least one period of concentration a week to explore new alternatives for the focus of your concentration. Also, on some occasions, you might make a particular idea the focus of your concentration for several consecutive days when you are not occupied with other things. This idea should occupy your mind's eye when you retire at night and be the first thing that comes into your mind when you awake in the morning. If you become serious in your concentration, you will be surprised to find how prone your mind's eye is to wander. This will become very obvious if you attempt to concentrate on a small object for two minutes. Place the object on the floor in front of you. Resolve to think only of the object for two minutes. Focus on its attributes, size, color, texture, etc. The idea is to keep your attention focused on the object exclusively. If a thought comes to your mind that is unrelated to the object, simply direct your mind's eye back to the object. In order to be effective at concentration, you must learn to cut off intruding thoughts mid-sentence, since a natural tendency is to follow a thought through. Once you have trained yourself to ignore extraneous thoughts, you'll be able to prevent your mind's eye from pursuing a train of thought that does not pertain to your desired focus. Unless you have previously developed your power to concentrate, you will find yourself thinking about what you are doing in lieu of the object. You will find yourself wondering if it has been two minutes yet. You will be distracted by other objects in the room, etc. From this experience, you will be keenly aware of the tendency of the mind's eye to deal sporadically with a host of things. Your challenge is to gain complete control of your mind's eye when you are concentrating. Once you become proficient in concentration, you will be much more conscious of what occupies your mind's eye. As you become more aware of what is in view in your mind, your view of the external world will be affected. You may pass people you know on the street yet not see them, or you may miss an exit on a freeway. On the other hand, you will see other aspects of the world around you more clearly, such as understanding relationships better. What we discern about people is seen through the mind's eye. For example, even though you may not remember what someone was wearing or the color of their eyes, you will have a vivid recollection of the person's attitudes, motives, or personality traits. Besides concentration, visualization is another technique that can improve your ability to control your mind's eye. The following exercises are typical of those used by psychologists and doctors in efforts to help people improve their ability to visualize. Exercise 1. Draw a triangle on a piece of paper with a broad felt-tipped pen. Um, stare at the triangle for one minute, then close your eyes. With your eyes closed, bring the triangle to your mind. Make, your, make the triangle you see in your mind as vivid as possible. After a few seconds, open your eyes. Attempt to compare the triangle on the page with the one you visualized. An attempt to note the specific detail, such as an uneven line that you failed to see when you were visualizing the triangle. After you have compared your initial visualization of the triangle with the one on the piece of paper, 
Close your eyes again. This time move the triangle around in your mind's eye. First look at it close, then move it at least two feet in front of you. When you move the triangle away from yourself, you will be able to scan it in your mind's eye as if it were an external image. Exercise 2. Place a pencil on a table in front of you. Study the pencil for one minute. Close your eyes and bring the pencil into view in your mind. Study the pencil just like you did when your eyes were open. Look for specific details such as color, size of the eraser, and marks. Open your eyes and compare the pencil you studied in your mind's eye with the one on the table. Note at least two specific things about the pencil that you omitted when you were visualizing. Close your eyes again and make it a point to see the specific things you did not see the first time you visualized the pencil. Exercise 3. Visualize yourself in a room from your past. Look at the furniture. Notice the floor covering. Turn around and look at the wall behind you. What is on the wall? Now draw from your own memory any other details you remember in the room. Number of windows, color of walls, light fixtures. Exercise 4. Visualize a house you are familiar with. See yourself standing in front of the house. Study the front of the house for a few minutes, then place yourself behind the house. Walk up to the house and study the exterior very closely. Next, walk around the house and notice as many details as possible. Finally, picture yourself above the house looking down at the roof. You will notice the roof is not as detailed as the rest of the house because you most likely have never looked at the house from the sky. Exercise 5. Study a cup for one minute. Close your eyes and visualize the cup in front of you. Once you have the cup in view, imagine the cup rotating slowly in front of you in your mind's eye. Even though you did not see the cup move with your eyes, you will find it is very easy for your mind's eye to imagine the cup rotating. Exercise 6. This exercise will help you realize that the imagining power of your mind's eye is virtually unlimited. In your mind, visualize a room you are familiar with. Walk to the light switch. Turn the light off. After a moment, turn it back on. Walk over to the lamp, take the shade off, and stare at the light bulb. See if you can increase the brightness of the bulb in your mind's eye. Once you are able to see the bulb brighter than you did originally, cause the bulb to go dim. Now turn and walk to a table in the room and pick up a book. Open the book and put it back on the table. Next, imagine the book floating in midair. Watch the book float around the room. Then come to rest on the table again. In your mind's eye, picture yourself passing through a window to the outside. Turn while you are still in the air and look at the house. Exercise 7. Picture a deflated green balloon about 6 inches long. Blow the balloon up and tie the end closed. Now change the color of the balloon to red. Let the balloon float to the ceiling and then have it increase in size until it pops. And watch the pop balloon fall to the floor. Exercise 8. Think of a person you know very well. Imagine that you are sitting across the table from the person. Study the person's face very carefully, making it a point to look at his mouth, nose, and eyes. In your mind's eye, have the person stand up and walk away from you. Notice unique things about the way the person walks. Finally, picture yourself take, talking to the person on the phone. Create a conversation. In your mind, consider the unique characteristics of the person's voice. Exercise 9. 
In your mind's eye, reconstruct a situation from your past in which you were happy and totally relaxed. Look at your surroundings. Strive to notice as much detail as possible, such as temperature and scenery. Analyze the situation and identify as many things as possible that made the situation so enjoyable. Then attempt to determine how much enjoyment you felt by thinking about the experience. If you were effective in visualizing many of the particulars associated with the experience, you will feel good after you complete this exercise. Exercise 10. Sit down and hold your arms straight out in front of you. Close your eyes. Visualize a book on top of your left hand. Become conscious of the book's weight on your hand. Picture a helium balloon tied to a string that is attached to your right wrist. Feel the string lifting your arm. If you are vivid in your visualization, your right arm will be slightly higher than your left when you open your eyes. This exercise ideally demonstrates that the body responds to the information in the mind's eye. There are virtually no limits to what we can visualize in our mind's eye. Thoughts, words, concepts, situations, feelings, sensations, plans, creations, ideas. Our mind's eye is not restricted by the bounds and laws of the physical world around us. Any constraints on our inner vision are self-imposed. In summary, make it a practice to make the following activities a part of your daily routine. 1. Learn to create a state that enhances your awareness of the inner processes of your mind. 2. Learn to relax mentally. 3. Learn to concentrate. and 4. Increase your ability to visualize. As you do, your capacity to make use of your mind's eye will increase. However, if we are careless, our mind's sight can be seriously impaired. Just as the rays of the sun can damage our eyes, there are things we can do to darken our mind's eye or impede the power of our mind to visualize. We take precautions to preserve our eyesight and we should be equally concerned about protecting the sight within our mind. Even though our physical senses have a marvelous capacity to convey information to the brain, they are limited. Fortunately, our understanding of self and the world around us is not restricted to the knowledge we acquire through our physical senses. We can gain knowledge, understanding, and insights through inspiration and discernment. But more importantly, our mind's eye affects our mood, attitude, and inclination. Our sense of self is governed by the mind's eye. This is why it is so important that we gain control of our mind's eye. Many people are not aware of the attitude or disposition of their inner sight unless they are very happy or unhappy. They are prone to operate on the assumption that they have no control over their state of mind. They assume that for the most part, their state of mind is determined by events they have no control over. People who feel their life is governed by external forces are only aware of their mind's eye to a limited degree and consequently make very little effort to exert control over it. In contrast, people who exert control over those things that occupy their mind gain control of their lives. As they do, they derive meaning from life each day. They are able to cope effectively with challenges and never feel overwhelmed with the complexities of life. People who maintain this frame of mind for a sustained period of time begin to realize that if they are successful in their efforts to make constructive use of their mind's eye, their sense of well-being is enhanced significantly.